We start tonight with the news out of Colorado. The state Supreme Court has ruled that former President Donald Trump should be removed from the 2024 Republican primary ballot. Now, since January 6th, there has been plenty of discussion in legal circles and even some excitement about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which bans insurrectionists and people who have aided insurrectionists from holding office. And there has been a whole lot of interest in whether this section of the amendment might bar Donald Trump from running for office because of his role in the January 6th insurrection. Now, the Minnesota State Supreme Court dismissed the idea. Over in Michigan, a judge ruled that Trump could not be taken off that state's ballot. In total, 14th Amendment suits to disqualify Trump have been dismissed in four states. They are pending appeal in two states, and they are pending being heard for the first time in 13 states. And just until two hours ago, it looked like Colorado would go in a similar direction to what we have seen in these other states so far. Last month in Colorado, the issue got a week-long public hearing in district court, and you may not have been paying attention, but there were high-profile witnesses like Congressman Ken Buck and Trump aide Cash Patel, who spoke in Trump's defense. And there were witnesses for the plaintiffs, like D.C. police officer Daniel Hodges, who was crushed in a doorframe by rioters on January 6th, and Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell. Ultimately, the district court judge in Colorado ruled that Trump had engaged in insurrection but that the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause in Section 3 did not apply to the American presidency, that the president was not an officer of the United States, as Section 3 stipulates he or she must be. And again, until just two hours ago, that is where this case stood. But the judge's decision was appealed, and the Colorado Supreme Court, in a 4-3 to three decision, did not agree with the lower court. This is what they said in their ruling tonight. Section 3 encompasses the office of the presidency and someone who has taken an oath as president. On this point, the district court committed reversible error. The judges continue. The district court did not err in concluding that the events at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th constituted an insurrection. The district court did not err in concluding that President Trump engaged in that insurrection through his personal actions. President Trump's speech inciting the crowd that breached the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was not protected by the First Amendment. And they conclude President Trump is therefore disqualified from holding the office of president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And because he is disqualified, it would be a wrongful act under the election code for the Secretary of State to list Trump as a candidate on the presidential primary ballot. We do not reach these conclusions lightly. The Trump campaign immediately put out a statement in response. They called the decision completely flawed and said that they will swiftly file an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which brings us to what happens now. The Colorado State Supreme Court has ruled this evening that Donald Trump should be removed from the state's Republican primary ballot. But the actual action of removing him from that ballot has been placed on hold until at least January 4th or until the U.S. Supreme Court rules, assuming Trump appeals to the justices before that date, January 4th. Now, according to Colorado's election law, the deadline to set the list of candidates for the Republican primary is January 5th. 
And Colorado's primary itself is on Super Tuesday, March 5th, which is also amazingly not that far away anymore either. So the time frame here is very tight. Does Donald Trump stay on the primary ballot while the Supreme Court decides on this? And which way does the Supreme Court ultimately rule? Honestly, we have no idea. We really don't know what happens, except that we have never been here before. Joining me now is the co-founder and executive director at Protect Democracy, Ian Basson. Also joining me is Mary McCord, former acting attorney general for national security and the current co-host of the Essential Prosecuting Donald Trump podcast. Mary, I hope you are ready to fire up the microphone with Andrew Weissman, (laughs) given this very much breaking news in the sense that I think it caught all of us off guard. What was your initial what is your initial reaction to the state Supreme Court's decision here? Well, I'm not hugely surprised, mostly because the the lower court decision, as you just indicated, had really made every single finding up until the very end. I mean, the lower court had found that Mr. Trump engaged in an insurrection, had found that she could make that ruling and that Section 3 uh, is something that, you know, she could make a decision about how it applied under Colorado law. The election code there uh, provides for bringing a cause of action by electors in the state of Colorado um, uh, to to basically force the secretary of state to keep someone off the ballot. She had made all these decisions. And at the very end, she had just said, but, Mr. Trump, you're not uh, you were not an office um, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The office of presidency is not an office and you were not an officer because the presidency is not an officer, which seemed like a pretty odd ruling that went against the plain text and went against a lot of history. And so it seemed as though her ruling was pretty well supported and that the Colorado Supreme Court, if it's if it found that her legal conclusions were valid and her factual findings were not clear air, was likely to still reverse her on that last legal uh, conclusion about officer, officer. All of that said, I think there are tough questions on both sides of this. um, And I think that this is something the Supreme Court does have to take up. Um, I think our democracy sort of demands that uh, an issue as essential as this, uh, what name will be on the ballot for president of the United States is something that should be decided by the Supreme Court of the United States. And as you indicated in your opening, Alex, there are many uh, other cases pending in other states. Some of them may have different state laws, and that was a basis for a ruling, for example, in Minnesota, di- uh, dismissing the case there. So in, in Colorado, the state law gives it a little bit, puts it in a little bit of a different position than other states. But the constitutional issue should be decided by the Supreme Court, and I think will be decided by the Supreme Court. And do you have a, a kind of over-under about whether Trump's name ultimately goes on the primary <laughs> ballot? And the real issue it's sort of being litigated here is whether, if he is a nominee, he goes on the general election ballot. I mean, January 5th is the deadline to effectively print the ballots in Colorado. Asking the court to rule before then seems... Um, asking the court to rule quite expeditiously, given all else that's on its plate. Well, there is a a provision in the opinion that the Colorado Supreme Court issued today that says that if the U.S. Supreme Court has not resolved the issue by January 5th, that Trump's name should stay on the Colorado ballot, the primary ballot, until it resolves the issue. So this will be up to the Supreme Court to resolve. And, and before we dive into how the Supreme Court will handle it, because I agree with Mary, they will have to handle it. 
I had another reaction to this uh, when the decision came out tonight, which is that at a high level, Trump's MO has always been projection to accuse others of the transgressions of which he himself is guilty, largely to obfuscate his own guilt. And so it's kind of fitting that after rising to political power by falsely accusing Barack Obama of not being eligible to be president, it turns out that it's Trump who a court has now determined is not eligible anymore for the presidency. You know, in the great drama of history, that twist is almost Shakespearean in its perfection. That's such a great point, Ian. Um, the irony here is thick. I, 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 and I, I take that and I hold on to that comment as we move forward here, Mary. But I, I do want to ask, you know, how you think the court is going to react here, Mary, because they have a lot um, that has been thrown their way in the holiday season, as Trump's attorneys have been um, loath to point out. The, the ruling from the state Supreme Court, I, I noticed this in combing through all 211 pages of it. Uh, they name check Judge Gorsuch. I believe before he's on the Supreme Court and a ruling he made about in a section about whether states actually have the right to bump ca- candidates off the ballot. And when Neil Gorsuch, now Supreme Court justice, was a Colorado state Supreme Court judge, he held that the state of Colorado was absolutely in the right in keeping someone off the ballot. It's a case called Hassan versus Colorado. I will quote from the ruling tonight. Several courts have expressly upheld states' abilities to exclude constitutionally ineligible candidates from their presidential ballots. See Hassan versus Colorado. As then-Judge Gorsuch recognized in Hassan, it's a state's legitimate interest in protecting the integrity and practical functioning of the political process that permits it to exclude from the ballot candidates who are constitutionally prohibited from assuming office. Is that like a not so subtle message to one of the uh, Supreme Court justices who is likely to take this up, Mary? Well, I think the Colorado Supreme Court is trying to point out that at least one person who is now a current justice who is likely to be ruling on this case has said something that they think supports their holding. They're holding that, yes, the state of Colorado can keep someone off the ballot who is not constitutionally qualified. Now, there is a big difference between sort of objective constitutional qualifications like age and citizenship than there are for things like, you know, uh, whether someone has engaged in uh, an insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution of the United States or given aid or comfort thereto. Not that that's subjective in the sense, but it requires some uh, some sort of determination about what does that mean? What is insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution? And, of course, both the lower court in Colorado and the Colorado Supreme Court did address those very questions and determined that what Mr. Trump had done was, in fact, engaging in insurrection directly, actually, not just inciting it, but engaging in it directly, and also that any speech that he made in the in the uh, context of engaging in that insurrection was not protected by the First Amendment, that among many other holdings. So, yes, I think they were trying to be able to flag for the public and the Supreme Court that Justice Gorsuch has, has said things in the past that would seem to support what they're doing. But I don't think that will stop Justice Gorsuch's Gorsuch, if he thinks that this is different, that it's not analogous because of uh, the Section 3 disqualification being different in kind from age, for example, um, I don't think it will stop him from from saying so or, or thinking so. 
Although in the ruling, they, they specifically say this is akin to age or citizenship as a qualification, whether or not you incited an insurrection. Um, Ian, Mary talks about the, the sort of notion of whether Trump incited insurrection. And I was really struck by the language in this ruling, the degree to which they have found Trump not merely guilty of inciting an insurrection, but Oh, they accuse him of overt, voluntary and direct participation in the insurrection. I'll read you the quote. President Trump did not merely incite the insurrection. Even when the siege on the Capitol was fully underway, he continued to support it by repeatedly demanding that Vice President Pence refuse to perform his constitutional duty and by calling senators to persuade them to stop the counting of electoral votes. These actions constituted overt, voluntary and direct participation in the insurrection. Maybe that's gilding the lily. I don't know, Ian. And separate and apart from this particular 14th Amendment question, how meaningful is it that judges across the country are saying, uh, yeah, Donald Trump participated and incited the insurrection? Well, it's a very carefully written opinion, and it's a very compelling opinion. The section of the opinion that you just read goes chapter and verse through not only what Trump did and why it qualified as insurrection, but why it would have qualified as insurrection under the understanding of the term at the time the 14th Amendment was enacted. It quotes newspapers at the time, dictionaries at the time, the attorney general's understanding at the time. And it does that because it understands that the U.S. Supreme Court, and this is the difficult position the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be in, and the Roberts majority in particular, has portrayed itself as a textualist court, reading what the words mean to mean what they mean, as an originalist court, that the words should be applied as they were understood at the time of the enactment. And if you do simply that, if you apply the words as they are written and as they were understood at the time of the enactment, I think this is a very compelling case that Donald Trump engaged in the acts that would disqualify him from being able to hold office under the terms of the Constitution. So a straight reading of the law would require the Supreme Court to uphold the Colorado decision. But obviously, the Supreme Court doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists in a political space as well. And Donald Trump understands that. And he has amassed significant political power, which he has tried to use in the past to overwhelm the force of law in this country, right? He did that on January 6th. He has tried to steer his supporters to intimidate the judges and the court personnel in New York and D.C. in his other cases. And undoubtedly, he will unleash some of his diehard followers against the Supreme Court as a way of intimidating them to reach the conclusion that he wants the way he unleashed followers on the Capitol on January 6th to try to intimidate Congress into achieving the result he, he wanted. And so the real question before the U.S. Supreme Court, as much as any interpretation of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, is going to be whether the rule of law prevails or whether the rule of the mob prevails in this country. There's nothing less than that question before the Roberts Court. Well said. Um, for anybody who hasn't read it, it is, it is a very carefully written as you say, Ian, document, but it is a very damning one as well, one for the history books. Um, monumental evening we have here in front of us. Ian Basson and Mary McCord, thank you so much for your expertise in all of this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We will have much more on tonight's breaking news, including the political fallout over tonight's ruling. But first, Congressman Jamie Raskin, member of the January 6th committee and a constitutional scholar, joins me to discuss what happens now. It's Monday night. 
It's Monday, everyone. We're happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by the Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. Hi everyone, it's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. We are continuing to follow the breaking news tonight that Donald Trump has been disqualified from appearing on Colorado's 2024 presidential ballot for his role in inciting an insurrection. Since January 6th, a lot of legal experts and politicians have dismissed the idea that the Constitution's anti-insurrection provision could actually kick Trump off the ballot. But there was one member of Congress who did not, a member of Congress who also happens to be a constitutional scholar. The Constitution itself says in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that anyone who is sworn an oath to support the Constitution and violates the oath by engaging in insurrection or rebellion shall never be allowed to hold federal or state office again. Not just a president, but members of Congress and uh, others who hold federal office um, who engage in insurrection or rebellion, having sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic, can never serve again. Donald Trump is disqualified. He's also constitutionally disqualified from holding office, having participated in uh, insurrection. Joining me now is Maryland Congressman and member of the January 6th committee, Jamie Raskin. Congressman Raskin, does it feel like some version of vindication here to see the Colorado State Supreme Court rule this way? It's definitely encouraging to see the rule of law working. Um, the, the Colorado Supreme Court uh, justices in the majority did a really sensational job of answering every legal question and reconstituting uh, what happened on January 6th to explain why Donald Trump did engage in insurrection within the meaning of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But it was a very powerful and exhaustive opinion dealing with everything from, uh, is this really just a political question up to Congress, to the question of whether the president is an officer under uh, the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, to whether he'd in fact engaged in an insurrection and what an insurrection means. So I was very pleased that the rule of law uh, was vindicated by the Colorado Supreme Court in this way. And I would think that uh, any U.S. Supreme Court justice uh, who looks at this case through either uh, the 
prism of textualism or the prism of originalism would find that the Colorado Supreme Court has been extremely faithful to the text of the U.S. Constitution and also to the original meaning of the words that were put in by the framers of the 14th Amendment. Yeah, there's an extended section about what an officer meant to the framers. It is a very exhaustive opinion. It is one for the history books. Um, Do you think this breathes new life into the sort of I think, hopes of those who did not like what transpired on January 6th to disqualify Donald Trump using the 14th Amendment. There are multiple efforts across the states at this hour to just get Trump off the ballot using the 14th Amendment. Does this give um, those efforts new life? Well, ultimately, this will go to the U.S. Supreme Court. That seems pretty inevitable to me. Um, I think that um, it certainly gives uh, a lot of impetus to the voters, like the voters here in Colorado, um, to pursue this case. And um, I think you were citing that Tenth Circuit uh, opinion that was also invoked by the Colorado Supreme Court, where Judge Gorsuch uh, participated in an opinion and wrote an opinion saying that a uh, a a naturalized citizen could not be put on the ballot for president because the Constitution says that you must be a born U.S. citizen in order to run for president. So this is just a question of law. It's like if a 14-year-old tried to run for president, would that person be kept off of uh, the ballot because the Constitution says you have to be 35 years old to run for president? And this disqualification clause says you cannot be on the ballot for president or you cannot serve as president if you have participated in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. And so I would think that regardless of what your politics are, what your party is, everybody should agree that this is a question of law that's got to be settled by the courts. I got to note, though, that, you know, it's in, it's a 4-3 ruling for the Colorado uh, State Supreme Court. There are three um, judges who dissented. I believe all of them were, were appointed by Democratic governors. Does that suggest to you that it isn't that cut and dry, that it isn't just a matter of seeing the law as it is in a sort of strictly originalist context? Well, you know, the judges disagree, of course, and, you know, there are very few um, significant uh, Supreme Court opinions where you don't have some dissenters in it. And uh, it's true that there are a whole bunch of new legal issues. This is what we call a case of first impression because no president before has ever tried to overthrow his own government. And so it does raise a whole series of new interpretive challenges for the court. I was just impressed by the way this court got into them in such a deep way. For example, uh, the question that the lower court got hung up on whether the president is an officer within the meaning of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, they found to be easy because they identified 25 different places in the Constitution where um, the president or the presidency are considered to be officers or in office under the Constitution. And of course, it would be intrinsically illogical for the president to be the only person not covered by Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And they also did a very fine job of dealing with the argument that because the presidential oath slightly differs, that somehow Uh, distinguishes him. And when, in fact, in all of those cases, everybody who's swearing an oath to the Constitution is swearing an oath to support it, including the president. Yeah, the TLDR summary of that officer section is like, 
Are you kidding me? The president is clearly an officer, they write. It seems most likely that the presidency is not specifically included in Section 3 because it is so evidently an office, as if to say, duh, he's an officer. Um, Congressman Raskin, I know that you've pointed out that the provision doesn't just apply to presidents, but also other elected officials. And I wonder if you think that there are members of Congress, for example, down ballot, whose names could theoretically be stripped as well if the Supreme Court upholds the um, state Supreme Court's ruling here? Well, I don't know the answer to that because I don't have all the specific facts in those cases. What's amazing about this opinion is uh, how meticulously the court reconstructs what the president's actions were, not just in inciting the insurrection, but then egging it along, trying to get the vice president to step out of the picture and even calling U.S. senators to keep it going. Yeah, it is a damning assessment of the president's role in the insurrection well beyond just inciting it. Congressman Jamie Raskin, thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate it. You bet. Coming up, we will be joined by the woman whose name appears as a defendant on tonight's big ruling, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. She will weigh in on what she intends to do in the wake of tonight's decision. That is next. Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com win. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. We are following that breaking news out of Colorado, where the state Supreme Court has ruled that Donald Trump cannot appear on the state's primary ballot because of his attempt to overturn the 2020 election. That ruling reverses a lower court's order that concluded Trump had engaged in insurrection but could not be disqualified from holding office. Now, in response to that lower court ruling, Sherilyn Eiffel, the former president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, wrote this opinion piece for The Washington Post. I use the word radical deliberately. The 14th Amendment was conceived of and pushed by the radical Republicans in Congress after the Civil War. They were so named because of their commitment to eradicating slavery and its vestiges from American political life. It was of this understanding that Section 3 was born. Most lawyers never learn about Section 3 during law school or thereafter. The recent scholarly duels that have emerged over its meaning reflect its surprise introduction to many seasoned constitutional scholars. But there is little room for confusion in interpreting it. Joining me now is Sherilyn Eiffel, civil rights lawyer, founder of the 14th Amendment Center for Law and Democracy at Howard University, and former president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Sherilyn, thank you so much for being here. I mean, once you have the 
the the 14th Amendment Center at Howard in your title, we know this is bigger than just this case, quite obviously. And I very much yeah. want to talk about the sort of racial underpinnings of this law and the way in which I think people have forgotten January 6th was a concerted public effort to disenfranchise the votes of a coalition, a multiracial coalition of voters powered in large part by black votes. And and it's almost as if people have forgotten that history when they sort of question how and why and whether the 14th Amendment is applicable in this case. But it seems to me quite obvious that there's a racial element here that echoes very directly back to the, the sort of intention when it was written. Yes, the Reconstruction Congress, Alex, understood that the spirit of insurrection in the South was very much obviously tied to the issue of slavery and to the question of Black people and their citizenship. And likewise, January 6th pulled those two threads uh, and Trump pulled those threads by inciting an insurrection and by inciting an insurrection on the theory that uh, he had been cheated by voters in Atlanta and Philadelphia and Detroit uh, and Milwaukee and by um, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, uh, who he called hustlers. The, the racial underpinnings of Trump's theory were very much on display for anyone who wanted to see it. And I would say even, it, you know, in the final days of the Civil War, it would have been shocking and appalling to see a Confederate flag paraded through the United States Congress, as we saw on January 6th. So that Reconstruction Congress was very serious, very clear. They had looked in the face of insurrection and had determined that we needed something to protect the new democracy that these Civil War amendments were designed to create. And so many of us learn about the 14th Amendment. We know about equal protection and birthright citizenship and due process. But we don't uh, learn about the sections of the 14th Amendment that were created by those framers to allow us to have the tools we need to protect our democracy against precisely the kind of action that Donald Trump engaged in. Yeah, one would think in a way that if it was Obama who Donald Trump was trying to unseat rather than Joe Biden, it would be more obvious for people, oh, I don't know, sitting on the Supreme Court to understand the direct sort of racial element or racial pre-post-racial pre, pre society goal, which is to say racist goal that lied uh, that, that lay at the heart of the January 6th insurrection. But yeah, I, I want to ask, given how the Supreme Court has treated the issue of race in the last year, effectively saying we live in a post-racial society, we shouldn't take it into account in hiring decisions or college admiss admissions, how optimistic are you that they are going to understand this in the strictly constitutional way in which it was written? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, I, you know, I'm very gratified by the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. It is, as um, Representative Raskin was saying, a very careful and meticulous decision. Uh, it is airtight. This is really a test for our Supreme Court. In, in years past, the Supreme Court has recognized the need, uh, particularly in cases involving the president, in some instances, to rise above a partisanship. But I want to be clear about two things, Alex. This case is not about partisanship. These are the words of our constitution. That's number one. Number two, this case does not require you to believe that Trump is racist or that the insurrection was racist. That's not part of this case. Participation in an insurrection makes you ineligible if you formally took an oath of office to return to office at either the federal or the state level. That's what section three of the 14th amendment says. It is like having to be 35 to uh, be president. 
If Trump were 34, he could not be on the ballot. He participated in an insurrection. He cannot be on the ballot. And of course, the irony is that it was Trump who for many years falsely accused President Obama of not being eligible to be president because he lacked, uh, as, as Mr. Trump charged at that time, birthright citizenship. So this is about eligibility, the qualifications to be president, to have been born in this country, to be 35 years old. And after the Civil War, those framers added another uh, eligibility requirement, which is that you have to be loyal to the Constitution of the United States. So this doesn't require the court to engage in any uh, racial analysis. It requires them to uphold the words of the 14th Amendment. And I want to really congratulate the lawyers at Crew, Noah Bookbinder and, and Donald Sherman and the entire crew for being courageous enough and clear enough to pursue this case and for putting on such an airtight case uh, before the court. This, this is a test of our United States Supreme Court, not of Donald Trump at this point, not of the lawyers in the case, not of Colorado. Um, and we will have to see what happens. You sure will. Sherilyn Eiffel, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Coming up next, we will be joined by one of the parties at the very center of this ruling, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. Don't go anywhere. About an hour ago, Donald Trump wrapped up his latest campaign rally in Waterloo, Iowa. The former president spoke for more than an hour, but he had absolutely nothing to say about the most consequential decision of the 2024 election to date, which was just handed down this evening by the Colorado Supreme Court. That court ruled that Trump is disqualified from serving as president and removed him from the state's 2024 primary ballot under a provision of the 14th Amendment. And there are a lot of other 14th Amendment challenges to Trump's candidacy that are still pending. But this Colorado ruling marks the first time such a challenge has been successful. In response, Republicans tonight are rallying behind Trump, calling the decision un-American and a partisan attack. Joining me now is Claire McCaskill, former Democratic senator from Missouri. Claire, thank you for making the time. What is your first of all, what is your reaction to this ruling? And secondly, calling a state supreme decision a partisan attack. Um, what do you make of that? Well, um, first of all, it's not surprising that he's going to call this a partisan attack. Anything that happens to him is a partisan attack. He never does anything wrong. Uh, it is always people that are doing things wrong to him. He is the ultimate victim and tries to be a martyr always. But when I look at this decision, Alex, I, you know, I kind of have two hats. One hat is uh, the lawyer. Uh, who had to pass a bar exam and who has had to hold my hand up and take an oath to uphold the Constitution a number of times in my career. And the, the irony of this decision is it is so steeped in the very theories that this Supreme Court seems to hold closest to them. And that is originalism and textualism. And if you look, for example, at the gun case that Clarence Thomas wrote, I think he wrote it, where he said, you know, all no gun laws can be passed that don't fit within the ideas of the original framers of the Constitution. 
I mean, he's, they've gone to great lengths to say they're all about originalism and they're all about textualism, what the plain words say, and what the framers intended. And this decision is a masterpiece in terms of playing those two cards on the table and explaining very clearly why this is exactly what the framers had in mind. This is exactly what the 14th Amendment was supposed to stop. Someone who tried to overturn the government coming back and trying to take over the government again. Um, so it will be very interesting to see how the Supreme Court handles. It is definitely um, a, a difficult one, I think, for them on that basis. Then the other hat I have is the political hat. And this decision worries me on a political basis because human nature always wants what it can't have. And I'm worried that there will be too many people in this country that maybe will not take the time to really understand the scary contrast that Donald Trump represents compared to Joe Biden and his competent and stable leadership. And that they will just see this as, oh, they're after him. Oh, they're after him. And this is they're going to great lengths to keep him from us. And yeah, well, yeah, maybe I should vote for this guy just because they're working so hard to keep him off the ballot. So I'm worried about the political reaction to this decision and how our country is going to handle that. Well, and you can be sure that Trump is going to further weaponize that that initial sort of knee jerk political reaction because it, it serves his ends. Right. Rick Scott saying tonight, if this is the path that radical Dems choose to weaponize the courts against conservatives. We are no better than the socialist regimes in Venezuela and Cuba. Byron Donalds, they're not after me, they're after you. Trump's just in the way. I mean, th this combined with the criminal cases and the criminal trials, you could imagine a, a maelstrom, uh, a, a ready-made hurricane that Trump will cite as evidence of just how badly the Democrats and the courts that they control wish to keep him away from the White House. Yeah. And people need to realize this lawsuit was brought by Republicans. Um, I believe it was six Republican voters and one independent voter. Uh, these were the Democrats. They, they, they were there were no Democrats plaintiffs in this. This was Republicans. Um, so this really is about the law. And when you don't like the law, you say it's being used against you. When you respect the law, you realize that this would happen to someone who did what Donald Trump did, no matter what their party was. You know, it is worth noting for, for people who think this is a Democratic court conspiracy, the three judges dissenting on this opinion were all appointed by Democratic governors of Colorado. So trending on partisan lines, this is not. The great Claire McCaskill, thank you for your time tonight, my friend. We will be right back with Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. That's next. We are continuing to follow breaking news tonight in a historic decision. The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that Donald Trump must be removed from the state's Republican primary ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. In a 4-3 decision, the court said it would be a wrongful act to list Trump as a candidate, effectively disqualifying him. Almost immediately, Trump announced that he would appeal this decision to the Supreme Court. Now, the statutory deadline for submitting names for Colorado's primary ballots is January 5th. So what does Colorado's Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, the person in charge of printing those ballots, what does she do now? Let's ask her. Joining me now is Colorado's Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold. Madam Secretary, thank you for joining me. What do you do now? 
Well, as long as there is not another case, uh, Trump is disqualified from the ballot. The Colorado Supreme Court affirmed the district court's decision that he engaged in insurrection. The fact of the matter is he incited the insurrection to try to stop the peaceful transfer of the presidency. Uh, And then the Colorado Supreme Court has decided that those actions are disqualifying. So uh, again, as of now, he is not a qualified candidate in the state of Colorado. Of course, the U.S. Supreme Court may choose to review, and I will follow whatever court order or decision is in place by the time of certification. I mean, your deadline of, of when you have to decide what names to print on the, ba- on the ballot is January 5th, right? There is a stay on this until January 4th. Can you walk me through the sort of scenarios here if the Supreme Court does not decide whether it's going to review this or not by January 5th? Or, sorry, I should use the latter. If the Supreme Court does decide it's going to review it but has not issued a decision by January 5th, that means that Trump's name goes on the primary ballot. Is that correct? If the United States Supreme Court decides to take this case, I'm sure that they will consider that certification in the state of Colorado is uh, very quickly approaching and will issue an order uh, or a decision quickly to make sure that we are in compliance with the law. Um, if they take the case, we, we will make clear to the court the, the deadlines and the timelines. Um, you know, the, the, the bigger thing is if the court does not take the case. Uh, as of January 5th, if the U.S. Supreme Court does not take the case or intervene, then Donald Trump will not be on the presidential primary ballot. Uh, and frankly, this case is only here because Trump's actions himself. He is the person who has led to this decision that he is disqualified because he tried to steal the presidency from the American people. I do have to ask you, given how open and shut proponents of the 14th Amendment in this case are, the dissent from just, for example, Chief Justice Boatwright, who authored, I believe, the dissent, he says that he thinks the applicable section of Colorado election code was not, in fact, enacted to decide whether a candidate engaged in insurrection. He does not agree with the disqualification as a proper line of action. I mean, do you think there's any merit to this? Does it give you any pause as a secretary of state? As secretary of state, I'll always follow the law and the United States Constitution. Uh, and that includes following the majority decision in a case. Under Colorado law, my office routinely checks if a candidate is eligible for the office that they're looking to serve in. So, for example, if Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to be on the presidential primary ballot, we would not allow him because under the United States Constitution, he is not a qualified candidate uh, because he's not a natural born citizen. This is a very similar situation. Does the U.S. Constitution uh, qualify someone to serve in an office or disqualify them? Uh, The Colorado Supreme Court has said Section 3 of the 14th Amendment disqualifies Donald Trump because he engaged in insurrection. Uh, So following that, I I do believe that Colorado law law allows uh, following the United States Constitution when we're deciding our ballot content. Right. Well, well, given given your feelings about sort of the merits of the state Supreme Court's ruling tonight. I wonder if you could comment on what you will do if the Supreme Court decides to overturn it. 
I agree with the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. I have said time and time again that I believe that Donald Trump incited the insurrection. Uh, and also, there shouldn't be some loophole in the U.S. Constitution allowing the president, but no one else to engage in insurrection and then serve in office again. But with that said, I will follow the law in the United States Constitution, because unlike Donald Trump, I believe that's what elected officials should be doing. And if a court decides that he is on the ballot, I, of course, will follow that. I swore to uphold the Constitution. That is exactly what I will do. Uh, and I, I think Donald Trump, when he swore to uphold the Constitution, should ask himself whether he has been successful on his oath of office. And, and you sound optimistic that you're going to get a ruling from the Supreme Court on this before Colorado actually has to decide whether Trump's name is on the ballot. Is that correct? I am optimistic that we'll have great elections in Colorado, no matter what. We are considered the nation's gold standard of elections for voter access and security. And courts tend to understand that uh, there is a quickness in decision making that has to happen when it comes to elections. So whether or not uh, the United States Supreme Court decides to review the case, whether or not they issue a, a decision by January 5th, if they do review the case, I, I believe that they will issue some type of, of order or be cognizant of the fact that we have an election uh, that is quickly approaching. We're a Super Tuesday state uh, with a January 5th deadline for ballot certification. Well, we will be watching to see what happens. And that is an understatement. Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, thank you again for your time. Thank you. That is our show for tonight.